Let's do this. Let's think about what we should do. Okay, you're in 1 Peter chapter 4. We know that Jesus Christ can come... Oh, go back, I'll go back. He can come when? Any second. This is where we are. People always come up and say, you think we're in the last days? When did the last days begin? At the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter 1. In these last days, he has spoken through his son, Jesus Christ. So we've been in the last days for a long time. So the real question is now, if we are in the last days, and he could come at any second... What is it that we need to, to, to be doing? I want you to look at 1 Peter 4, look at verse 5. He says, They will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. Best we can understand in 1 Peter, in this section, living and dead means those, uh, some who say that they're talking about spiritually alive and spiritually dead. We'll see it a little bit later on. And there's another place in Second Peter where he talks about waking and sleeping. And he's not talking about whether you're alive or, or dead. He's talking about something else. And this, I think he is talking about whether you're spiritually alive or spiritually dead, that God's going to judge all human beings. Now, remember we said God's judgment is not for what? God does not judge human beings for their... No, he does judge you for your works. What does he not judge you for? Your sins. Where are the sins of every human being? Placed on Jesus Christ. First Peter 2.24, he is the satisfied that, that uh, he bore in his body our sins when he was on the cross. So Jesus Christ has taken all the sins of every human being, and they've been placed on him. So people, and let's say it in the weirdest way, but people don't go to hell because they're sins. Sins are already paid for. Why don't people have eternal life? Because they have not believed. It's by faith. John 3.18 He that believes is not condemned. He that believes not is condemned already because they have not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. So the bottom line is salvation is not by works or sin or not sin. Or it's by faith alone in Christ alone. It's always been that way. So in this, there's going to be a judgment. And it's not going to be for people's sin. It's going to be for their works. And for the unbelievers to show that their works don't measure up. For the believer, why does he judge our works? For rewards, exactly right. So, with that in mind, uh, we're going to see what what should we be doing as we await. We started this last time. Look, I think the outline is here. We're going to see in verses, I want you to look, First Peter 4, 7 through 11. And I think I'll go fairly quickly this morning, but he's going to say, first of all, that the end is near, and we need to be people of prayer. And then there's a second part, key actions as we await. And here's the three things, to love one another, to be hospitable to one another, to serve one another. That's the big three. Now, that sums up a lot of things. And if you do those three things, you're going to be doing a lot of things. But let's talk about it. And I, we touched on this last week. But look at verse 7 when he says, The end of all things is at hand. It is. In fact, he says, the, the, the end goal, the completion is near. Look at verse 7. The end of all things is near. Meaning what? Jesus Christ could come when? Any second. It, it's The goal is completed. Jesus Christ has come. He's died on the cross. He's paid for sin. That's the things that he's talking about. See, all of history, you go back to Genesis 3.15, everything was looking forward to the Messiah to come. The goal was the Messiah is going to come and deal with the sin of mankind. So at a point in time in history, Jesus Christ left the glories of heaven, came to the earth, died on the cross, paid for sin, and rose again. So the goal, at the end of all things is near. The goal is completed. All of that's ready. So he he could come at any time. And, you know, the thing about it is we, we, we act like um, we've got all the time in the world. 
And see, that's how throughout history uh, people would say, where is the promise of his coming? That's what First Peter, uh, First and Second Peter, he deals with that issue because there were people who were denying Jesus Christ coming back, and they'd say, I thought he said he was coming. How come he hadn't come back? It's been a long time. What if they lived today? They'd say, it's really been a longer time, right? It's long, and he hasn't come back yet. Because he hasn't come back yet, do you think that means he's not coming? Why do you think he hasn't come back yet? Hmm? He's not ready? We're not ready. How many more people need to put their faith in Jesus Christ before he comes? How many people do we need to talk to? If, he, if we thought he was coming Friday, would we be talking to some people that we really know and love and saying, listen, you, you better trust because he's coming Friday. Right? Right? He's coming any second. So we should be doing the same thing now. We should be saying, listen, I, I don't know how much time we got. It looks like a lot of time has gone by, so maybe he's not in any hurry. But we never know when he's coming. So he said, the end of all things is here. So therefore, here's what he says for us to do. He says, be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. He says, therefore, two aspects. You've got to keep on praying. And what he says, be of sound judgment and sober spirit. Sound judgment has, has the idea of, of have thinking, thinking right, be clear-headed. Sober means to be alert, clearly-minded and alert so we can pray. What are we praying for? I think there's two main things you could pray for. What do you think they are? What, what do you think do you should be praying for uh, as we know Jesus could come at any second? I think that's one. We'd be pray for people that we get a list out somewhere and say, I know this person, but I don't know if they know Christ. This person, this person, this person. Get a list down and begin to say, Lord, I ask you that you'd give me an opportunity to talk to this person about Christ. Have you ever done that? I have done that. It's scary because he, he gives you the opportunities. If you say, I would like to talk to this person, or even if you say, Lord, give me an opportunity today to share my faith, he's going to give you one. Now, you may, you may not be looking for it. Now, normally if we're praying it, we are looking for it. You know, if we go out of here every time, every day, looking for opportunities, guess what we'll find? A lot of opportunities. But if we go out of here never thinking about it, guess what we'll find? Nothing. And we'll say things like, I never get a chance to share my faith. Okay. So what should we be praying for? I think one is that people come to know Christ. There's a second thing to pray for. Even so, come Lord Jesus. Pray that he comes. When Daniel got his revelation that the nation of Israel was going to be in captivity for 70 years when he read Jeremiah and saw all that, and the 70 years had passed, he didn't say, okay, you're supposed to be here. He said, Lord, please come and fulfill your word. Is Jesus Christ coming? Do you want him to come? Yeah. Now, the older you are, the more you want him to come. The younger you are, the less you want him to come, because you say, I've got other things I'd like to do. But the older we are, we say, come, Lord Jesus. Come as quick as you can. So I think we, he says, be, be praying, keep on praying, sound judgment, sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. So that's what we should be doing. Now, are we praying effectively? I will challenge all of us, including me. Go home, sit down with a piece of paper, think of the people you come in contact with every day. How many of those people you come in contact with every day 
that you don't know whether they're a Christian or not. They may be. You just don't know for sure. You may talk to them, but you've never actually said, let's talk about something, and you found out that they know Christ as Savior. How many people do you come in contact with every day? You don't know if they're a Christian. Write their name down and then say, Lord, give me an opportunity to at least find out whether they know you or not. Why don't we do that? I th- we'd be pretty surprised. Now, here's the scary thing. You've got to be ready to share your faith, right? You've got to know the gospel, and you've got to talk to about the fact of putting your faith in Christ and how he died and rose again, and go to 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4, and, and all of those things. You've got to be ready to give an answer. So let's do that. Now, with that in mind, he says, okay, let's think about three things that we're to be doing as we're waiting, as we're praying and waiting for the Lord's return. He says we're to be loving, we're to be reaching out, we're to be serving. Let's look at this in detail. Look at verse 8. He says, the end of all things is near, therefore will be of sound judgment, sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. Above all, here's number one, above all, keep fervent in your love for one another. Why? Because love covers a multitude of sins. Well, let's talk about it. He says, let's love one another. See, love is the key in our relationships. I want you to think about this. Colossians 3.14 says, above all, put on love. 1 Corinthians 13.13 says, the greatest of these is love. In this passage, what does he say? Above all. Now, he's saying, here's the things you do. The very biggest thing you do, above all, as you're awaiting, you should do what? Be fervent in your love for one another. The word fervent actually means to be stretching out. It means to be reaching out for something. That's the word. Love, love is, the, is, the, is the unity thing. Love keeps all unity. We're to love one another. We're to keep on loving one another. And, and we live in a world that has love. Love is an emotion in the world. Love, love has emotions, but love is not an emotion. Love is an action. Love is an action. We choose to love. In our world... Even as Christians, we, we tend to look out for, each, for ourselves first. I read this study, um, a guy by the name of James Hunter, who's an author, and what he did is he went to the top eight conservative religious publishers. In other words, eight different publishing companies that publish conservative Christian books. And he found that 87% of the books published all related to self-help and self-discovery. 13% all other subjects. What does that tell us? I want a book about how to help me. Oh, let me, oh, this will be good for me. This is a good book for me, right? That's how we think about it. We, we're thinking about ourselves, and, 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 and we need to reach out to others. Jesus Christ said, they'll know that you belong to me by what? By your love for one another. What ways, what ways can you show love? What ways can we reach out to other people and show love? Why is it so important? Because Psalm 10 verse 12 says, Hate stirs up, but love covers. Now, when he says in this passage, because love covers a multitude of sins, that doesn't mean love pays for sins. That doesn't mean if you love somebody or act right, sins don't count. We're not talking about that. What, te- what took care of sins? What took care of the sin of mankind? Jesus Christ. So he made the payment for sin. When this passage says love covers a multitude of sins, what it means is this. Okay, Bonita sees me, and I see her, but I go by and I, I don't even speak to her. And that hurts her. But she says, I love him. That's nothing. That's nothing. 
See, love covers. Because when we get with each other, and the closer we get to each other, the more we see what we're really like, right? right? If everybody really knows what we're really like, how many people you think is going to really like us, right? Right? Because we're fallen people. When we really, if people, how many, if people knew your thoughts, would anybody like you? If you knew my thoughts, would anybody like me at all? I mean, maybe, well, most people don't like me anyway, but anyway, it doesn't matter. But the idea is this, love does what? It just covers those kind of things. Because when you love somebody, you don't care. You just say, oh, that's nothing, I love them. That's just, that's just life. That's just life. And so that's why he says, listen, be fervent, be overflowing, be, be reaching out in your love for one another. Because see, what love does, it just covers over. It covers over when we mess up. He's not talking anything theology like paying for sin or anything. Like that. He's just saying love covers it over. Love lets it go. See, that ties in with forgiveness because forgiveness is releasing the debt. And in love, you just release the debt. Somebody hurts you, you just say, I just let it go. Let it go. They don't know me. Love covers over a multitude of sins. 1 Corinthians 13, love does not keep a record of what? Wrongs. See, when, when you're not loving, you're saying, this person did this, this person did this, and this person did this. I got it right here. <laughs> I got it right here. Love says, I'm not even keeping a record of wrongs. I don't even have a record of wrongs. Be kind, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as what? God in Christ Jesus has forgiven us. When, when you love each other, Nothing divides you. Little things won't divide you. Now, if you don't love each other, anything will divide you. How do we deal with issues? Listen, there's two things I think that happen. Sometimes in our lives, someone hurts us, and they do, they do us wrong. And Matthew 18 says that when somebody does you wrong, if you can't let love cover it, what should you do? What does Matthew 18 say? Anybody know? What should you do if somebody does you wrong? Okay, somebody does me wrong. What should I do? I go to Benita and say, that person did me wrong. Is that what I'm supposed to do? No. (laughs) What are you supposed to do? Go to the person. That's what you're supposed to do. Matthew 18 says if if someone does you wrong or wrongs you, you go to that person one-on-one and maybe you may win your brother. You may say, that hurt me. That hurt me badly. And they may say, so... Or they may say, I didn't do anything. And sometimes if it's something that is sinful enough to begin to bother the body, you have to go back and get two or three to go. And later on it even goes within the body. But normally, when people hurt us, we should, let, we should always do this one. Just let love cover. And if you for some reason can't let love cover, you need to go to the person. And they, they may not respond in the way that you think. You may go and say, I don't know whether you realize this, but you really hurt me. And they go, I didn't hurt you. I didn't do anything. That's where you have to let love cover. That's where you have forgiveness. They may say, I didn't even know I did it. I'm so sorry. So above all, keep fervent in your love for one another. Let me just say this. If I hurt one of you, come to me, please. Or let love cover it. I'm pretty good at hurting people. All of us are, right? Be honest. 
So we got to love each other. Therefore, be fervent in your love one for another. Why? Because love just covers over a multitude of sins. So the very first thing is to love. Here's the second one. Be hospitable. That means literally a lover of strangers. That's the idea of opening your home. And notice how he says it. Therefore, be hospitable one another without, without complaint. Without complaint. This is the idea of reaching out to people. This is what's so good about this group of believers. You're always reaching out to each other. I mean, you can't even get Sunday school going because everybody's over there talking, right? And having a great time. That's what's so neat about this group of believers. This says, be hospitable, love strangers, love one another without complaint. We live in a culture that you, you get in your car, you, you have the windows up, you drive into your neighborhood, you press the button, your garage door goes up, you pull in, you get in, you close the garage door, and hopefully you don't have to talk to anybody. That's our culture, because uh, I got stuff I need to do, and if I, you know, if I stand out there and talk to this person, it might take 15 minutes, and I need, you know, and I don't have time to build any kind of relationships. He says, open your home, reach out to people without complaint, do it without complaining. There's some people in this body that, if they could, their home be open every day. They'd have a party at their house every day. One of the things that I've learned over the time, especially about opening your home or just being with people, people don't care how clean it is or how perfect it is. They just want to be together. So don't let those kind of issues be the thing like, well, I'd like to have people in my house, but I don't want to. First of all, I don't want to have to clean it up. Second is, I don't want, it's going to take too much time. Hey, listen, people don't care. They just want to be with you. And that's a key. So he says, be hospitable one another. If you're not in a home fellowship group, you need to be in one. You need to get with other people about once a month on Sunday nights. Home fellowship groups meet. And we, ha we have them fixed where they can meet anytime. Some home fellowship groups, like some are meeting tonight. Uh, there's going to be some meeting the next week, and then after that, another week. I mean, so they meet at different times. So if you're not in a home fellowship group, you can sign up back there. You can call the church office and say, I want to get put in one of those home fellowship groups. And then the person who's, uh, that's like hosting, they'll call you and say, hey, come to our house, bring this, do this. We're going to have a great time. Make it an opportunity to get with fellow believers. When church is over on a Sunday morning, why don't some of you say, hey, let's go get, y'all want to go get something to eat? Let's all go get something to eat somewhere. Uh, I mean, look for opportunities to get with each other because it's a key. It's a key. The fellowship and the relationship is the key thing. There's a third area, and that's as you have gifts. As you have gifts, serve one another. Use your spiritual gifts to serve one another. Notice what he says. As each, one, uh, as each one has received a gift, it doesn't say special gift. Some Bibles put the word special in there. It's in italics. That's not really in there. There's, no, there's not special gifts. Everybody's got gifts. Everybody's got at least one spiritual gift. As each one has received a gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. He says, use your spiritual gifts. Now let me tell you what a spiritual gift is. Spiritual gifts are divine enablements given by God to believers so they can serve within the body. 
every one of you in this room, if you know Jesus Christ is Savior, and I hope and pray that every one of you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, if you know Christ is Savior, you have at least one spiritual gift. Go to 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12, 1 Peter 4, Ephesians 4. That's the places in the Scripture in which it actually lists the different spiritual gifts. We also have a spiritual gift inventory. When we have membership training next week, we will give out to everyone who joins a spiritual gift inventory. They can fill that thing out, and it's not 100% perfect or anything, but it basically gives you an idea as you fill it out and answer the questions what your spiritual gift or gifts may be. Some people have more than one gift. When you look in the Scripture, Paul had a number of spiritual gifts. If you just look at what he did and what he said, how he did it. So whatever your gifts are, you need to use them. But notice what he says. Uh, as each one has received a gift, use it, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. There are people in this body that have the gift of helps. And you wouldn't believe that like 8 o'clock this morning, there are people here putting all this stuff up, getting it all out, setting everything up, putting everything out. There are going to be other people when this is over, and we leave it and we tell everybody, be sure and put your chairs up. Not only do you put your chairs up, there are other people who are putting a whole bunch of chairs up, bringing other chairs, putting things this way, doing all kind of things. If you got the gift of help, so you say, well, I could do that. Well, then help, Right? And there are people who are saying, I'd love to go in that nursery and help. And there are people who are saying, I'd like to be a greeter. And the people say, I'd like to help put the signs up. I'd like to help do this. I'd like to help do that. I'd like to type something. I would like all kind of different things. Now, not all those are spiritual gifts, of course. But they're all ways that you can serve and, and be used by God. Now, time is just about up. So here's what I want you to see. I want you to see that when he says the spiritual gifts, he takes all the spiritual gifts and he puts them in two areas. And so I'm going to stop here. I'm going to show you what the two areas are. And then we're going to talk about it next week. And then we'll get lesson 10, which is our last lesson in this study. He says all spiritual gifts, he takes all spiritual gifts and he puts them in two broad areas. Speaking gifts and serving gifts. Speaking gifts deal with t- with proclaiming the the Bible, speaking the Word of God, teaching, proclaiming, all kind of different things, evangelism, all of that. And then serving gifts, and we'll come back to serving gifts. He says, he doesn't even describe serving gifts. He just says, whoever serves, serve in God's strength. And we'll talk more about that next time. Because let me just say this. If you have a speaking gift, here's what he says. Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. He says, if you've got a speaking gift, you better speak the Bible. You better teach the Word. That means if you're going to get up and you're going to teach a Sunday school class, are you going to do a, be like a pastor? Are you going to be an evangelist? Are you going to do anything that uses the, the speaking gifts that you have? It better be anchored on the truths of the Bible. That's what he says. Then he says, if you're going to have a serving gift, then... God's power through you. And we'll see more about that. Okay, let me stop. Uh, Heavenly Father, what a great morning. Thank you, Lord, for this body. And we thank you, Lord, that we know you could come at any second. And thank you, Lord, that that's true. And that we look forward to the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, we realize that while we're waiting, we need to be clear-headed. We need to be focused. We need to be praying wisely and effectively, knowing that you could come at any second. And Lord, as we're praying, waiting for you to come, 
we know that we are to love one another because love just covers over all the wrongs. We're to be reaching out to others and opening our homes and, and loving each other and spending time with each other in that way. And then, Lord, we're to take the gifts, talents, and abilities that you have given to us, and we're to use those to serve others. Lord, Lord, maybe next time see more details about these spiritual gifts so that we can be ready to serve you and to touch lives for Jesus Christ. Thank you for this body. I love them, Lord. Thank you that you allowed me to get to be here and be a part of all of this. We ask this in Jesus' name.